I have a right to safety. I have a right to education. I have a right to my culture. Kids like me need to know about child rights and earlier age what to do about it. Today, the Canadian Council of Child and Youth Advocates asks you to make every day a day to stand up for children's rights in your life. If you are a young person who needs the help of an advocate, you can also find the advocate for your own province listed on cccya.ca. Welcome back to Radio Change the World, a national community radio broadcast for National Child Day. On November 20th and 21st, we let the kids have the microphone. The following segment features voices and stories from Manitoba. Hello and welcome to one of the most unique radio programs in the entire world, System Kids. It's a weekly talk radio program that airs on CKW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. Every Tuesday, the hosts, Dustin, that's me, and Amy, discuss the issues that matter to kids in care right here in Winnipeg, across the country, and around the globe. The program has been on the air for over 15 years, and each week it brings into focus the rights of young people, the latest news and events, as well as interviews with alumni of care and other individuals connected to the CFS system. Today, I have selected a series of highlights from the latest season for you to enjoy. First, let's hear a few of the rights highlights. It's a segment where we're joined by our junior co-host, Nalaya, as she brings her thoughtful commentary on the articles identified in the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. Let's begin. So, Amy, it's a pleasure, absolute pleasure to be back on the radio with you. And, uh, you know, we make a good team here on System Kids as your regular co-hosts. But uh, we do have another co-host that usually joins us on the show. Of course, she's joining us again, once again, this week. It's Nalaya. Hello, Nalaya. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Especially to have you back on the show as well. You're going to be bringing us a right in a few minutes, I'm sure. Yes, I will. We're, we're always wanting to hear about what uh, what are the United Nations Conventions on the Rights of the Child. What are those rights that are outlined in that document? Uh, but before we do that, how was your summer? Just quick. Well, my summer was quite good. I um, I went on a trip for two weeks, and I went to camp twice. Cool. One of them was good, but one wasn't. Um, and I went camping with my dad. Wow, that sounds pretty good. That's a fun time. Yeah, it was really fun. Nice. Well, I'm glad to hear about how awesome your summer was. I'm glad you did a lot of activities as well. Um, so you're back on the grind. You're finding all of the all of the latest uh, uh, rights from the UNCRC, as we talked about. We mentioned just a moment ago. Which right have you brought in for us today, Nalaya? I'm always excited to hear about these because it's just great to uh, to learn more about the rights. Because there's so many of them. There's something like 50 of these rights, right? So. Uh, which right do you have for us today? I have Article 31. 31. And what does Article 31 say? You have the right to play, rest, and enjoy your life. Well, I suppose that's true, isn't it? But this is especially for kids, right? So why is, this, why is it important that we protect the right to play and relax and enjoy your life for kids? Well, it was just summer, and you should do something fun for summer. <laughs> and um, playing is a good way to, you know, get social and meet friends um, and create friendships. And, um, well, play is just something that every kid needs to do. Yeah. 
Nalaya, how do you feel about kids who don't really get much play? Either maybe they are busy working all day with their parents or perhaps, you know, on a global level, they're working in a sweatshop or even on a local level, kids that are in school all day and then spend the evening doing academic work all evening. How do you feel about that kind of thing? Or taking care of their sibling or something like that, too. Ah, yes. Yeah. Um, I would say that... Even if you're doing that, I think that maybe your parents or your foster parents or adopted parents or really anyone, um, like your guardian, should be let, sorry, um, letting you should letting you play. They should be letting you play um, because it's good for physical education and yep. more. And I think that even if you were busy, you should still find some time to play. I absolutely agree. And even in adulthood, it's important. But of course, you were talking about kids. So yeah, it helps with socializing and learning social skills. It helps with uh, your physical abilities to run around and go play tag or dodgeball. Things like that are always good to get your body moving for kids. But you know, there's also something special about being a kid that you know you can't get back, right? Like that kind of uh, that kind of experience is a once in a lifetime thing, and you need to have a chance to enjoy it. And uh, yeah, yeah, and and I think it helps to make a fully uh, like a fully kind of realized human being in the end when you have time to to enjoy yourself as a child and you grow up at your own speed. Yeah, and also with the rest part of that article, um, every kid, especially like. 12, 11, 13, and those ages um, most definitely needs like nine or more hours of sleep. And with school, it's really hard. Nine hours is a lot of sleep. <laughs> but yeah, I completely but agree that kids, kids need to need get it. their sleep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one. That's funny that you bring that up, Nalaya, because as a teacher, what I notice is, you know, I definitely see when kids are not getting their full nights of uh, sleep and rest. And I think that as a right of a child, it is our responsibility as adults to ensure that kids are going to bed at a decent time because that's really giving them the best opportunities to learn and have a good day. And I think sometimes we forget that by, you know, even just being more structured with our kids and uh, enforcing their best time that we're actually protecting their rights to rest yes and your brain and body grows more when you're sleeping so nalai are you telling me that maybe you'll be going to bed early tonight is that what i'm hearing uh, <laughs> well just say know. yes <laughs> yeah just say yes for the radio for the listeners you can't leave us hanging there's a whole other tale that we won't get now uh all right nalai absolutely great to check in with you again high five Nicely done. And we're sitting down with a young person from CARE named Elora. Elora, how are you doing today? Howdy, I'm doing quite fine, if I do say so myself. So, uh, just to kick things off, uh, how, can you introduce yourself uh, for our listeners and uh, tell us uh, who you are and, and what you're doing? Okay, you doing well, now? first of all, my name's Elora Anderson. I am currently 27 years old. I have a beautiful awesome amazing little boy named robert with my life partner aaron uh over the summer i recently completed my first year at uh, red river college for child and youth care work well uh child uh the what's it called again the youth recreation and activity worker program that's the that's the one i was ah. looking for yeah it's a long title yeah that's it's quite a mouthful to say 
So, Alora, um, I actually I met you this past weekend at the Belong Summit, and you shared with uh, some of the people that were at the conference with me on a panel. It was awesome. I was really happy to hear your story and your vulnerability. It was amazing. Um, and I heard a little bit about uh, kind of what what your story was being connected to care, and even even prior to being in care. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, I mean, straight off the hop, if you'd like to share with us what your story is and. You can start wherever you'd like. Sure. So I have been in and out of care since infancy. Uh, Of course, I don't remember that much. But uh, the more impactful time that I did have and I do remember was when I was currently about, not currently, when I was about, I'm going to say about eight, nine years old. Uh, That's the age I do remember. But um, my family was going through some difficult times at that time. And uh, me and my brothers were taking into foster care. So the time that we did go, um, it was very, it was very damaging for me because I was separated from my brothers at a very young age. I had no idea where they were. I had no clue what was going on. And to be honest, I, I didn't even understand at the time what was happening to me or my family. I had a very, uh, very vague explanation as to what was happening to us at the time. I had no understanding of anything. I didn't even know who my social worker was, um, from what I do remember, it was it was very it was a very scary time, and uh, I was sent to a foster home that pretty much knew little to nothing about me, uh, not about who I was, what my background was, just basically what was ever on file for them. So during my time in this said foster home, um, I experienced a lot of a lot of abuse there. I was pretty much abused in every aspect of my being, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, and more importantly, emotionally. So, and my time at this uh, particular foster home, they pretty much didn't know anything about me, uh, nor my traditional background or anything. So, uh, I was pretty much alone, secluded in this place. I, I obviously didn't feel very welcome there. But mind you, I was I was young. I was a pretty silent kid, so I didn't really speak out much against my foster parents because I was, you know, scared of them. So during my time there, I pretty much just sat in silence and just waited till I can go home, which was obviously I had no no clue about. So yeah, it was it was a very very impactful time for me. That it was very difficult for me as well. So. Can I ask you in this foster home, you were separated from your brothers yes. at the time. So you were alone in that foster home. Mm-hmm. Um, was there any other kids in the home? Um, there was one other child, but she was she was a toddler. She was a little baby at the time. So I couldn't really like connect with her or anything like that. So it was it was pretty it was pretty difficult. There were other children, but they were basically high school age. OK. And you yeah. and you're around age eight. Yeah. So kind of alone in your in your peer mm-hmm. group there. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, how long did you stay at that foster home for? Um, I was there for about almost a year. Yeah. And before I actually began to speak out about what was happening to me at home. So, yeah. So who did you speak out to at the time? Um, at the time, I was taking cabs to and from school every single day. I basically jumped in a cab every morning cabbed all the way to school which was basically across town really so I I pretty much broke away from that one day when my cab didn't come on time so I kind of was like okay well what do I do and I was like oh no I know I'm just I'm just gonna go see my mom 
So I pretty much walked to my mom from my school at the time. And that's when I told her, I'm like, you know what, mom, um, I don't like where I'm staying. Like this lady hits me. So my mom was just like, what? And I knew that I was going to get in trouble. And I knew that I was going to get her in trouble because I wasn't supposed to be there. And she, she, she had to, she had to call the agency and let her know that, let them know that I was there. So it was that time that she told them what was happening to me. And yeah, I thought I was going to stay with my mom because I was, you know, young, naive. I didn't, I didn't know anything about that. So when I did tell my mom, she told the worker and they basically came and got me and I had to go, I had to go back because there was nowhere else to put me at the time. And I guess I was too young to understand anything. So I went back and... Um, the social worker did come back. She came back to my foster home and she, you know, she pretty much questions my, questioned my foster mother and overlooked me, you know, the child in question. So, and of course my mom, my foster mom painted a, a different story and, you know, she really didn't appreciate what I had to say after my social worker left. Like they didn't talk to me, they talked to the family and who I kind of I I got it after that, so I never I never spoke about it again. So what happened to you? The the foster parents uh, covered up the mm. abuse and everything, and and uh, put on a charade for the social uh, worker. Pretty much, yeah. They just made a big fancy dinner. They cooked her up some nice food, and they pretty much held her in the they held her in the. She had two living rooms at the time. There was the one that we used as a family, and then there was this what, big fancy setup one, I guess. It was kind of just fancy looking, and that's where they had the meeting in there. So, so did you end up staying at that foster home then? Um, I ended up staying there for for a while afterwards, and then it was it was actually my mother who fought tooth and nail to get me out of there. So I pretty much just stayed in there until I I can't remember when I was I was pretty young, so I can't remember exactly how long I stayed in there afterwards but uh, I did actually get moved to a different place not some random foster home this time I was actually moved in with with my brothers uh, in one of my auntie's houses so that was that was it was a little better than Elora you talked about uh, having to go out on your own personal journey to discover your own heritage mm-hmm. um, was that something that was frowned upon there in the group or in that foster home and and tell us how you ultimately uh, made that journey well I always knew I was Anishinaabe so it's something I grew up with and but because I come from a more Christian background I didn't get the chance to or the opportunity more more or less to explore that traditionally so and like I said these people didn't know anything about my background or my heritage or anything and you know the time I did spend there it was kind of I was belittled I guess they kind of made me question my self-worth and you know, they, they made fun of me. I'm not going to lie. And is that for being Anishinaabe? Uh, yeah, there was some cultural differences, like a lot of cultural differences between me and said family. And uh, I remember one time I mentioned to my foster mother that we had a we had a powwow coming up. And then she kind of just laughed it off. Oh, you're going to go dance at your powwow? And I was just like, okay, well, I'm just not going to say anything anymore then because that was kind of scary. <laughs> Aw. Yeah. And, it was... and you were young at this time, too. Yeah, that's I, really was, I was little. That's really, you know, it's unfortunate when you're placed in a home that's not culturally relevant, but then even more unfortunate when you're belittled for it. Yeah. Um. So, like, and then, uh, so then you went to live at your auntie's house. Mm-hmm. 
with your brother. So that was kind of more of a kinship placement? Uh, yes, it was uh, distant, I guess. Well, at the time, I didn't understand. I was, you know, I was little. So I just knew that I was going to go live with my auntie with my brothers. So I was like, okay, well, awesome. Yeah, that must have been yeah. quite a relief for you, at least to be with your brothers at the time. Yes, yes, yes. And but again, at the time, she was a very, she was a, she was a Christian woman at the time, and there was still you know favoritism amongst you know because she had her own kids at the time too, and you know there was there was still obviously favoritism. So um, at this point, did your auntie help you at all to discover some of your uh, Aboriginal heritage? Uh, nope, not. Not that I can remember. I pretty much just did all this on my own. And it was through, it wasn't until I was older that I began to understand, you know, I have traditional traditions and there's some ceremonies and stuff that I can, you know, actually attend. And it was actually myself that went out and, you know, started discovering things. Has that been an important part of your life since then? Yes. Yes, it has. Uh, You know, ceremony for me is pretty important especially for a person that had such a negative childhood and you know it's all a process and one big step in my healing journey so it's definitely important for me laura i wanted to ask too you talked about how your mom fought tooth and nail to get Mm -hmm. you back you didn't actually age out of care you ended up going back with your mom right yes can you tell me about what that was like from your perspective i know it's a few years Mm -hmm. back now but i you sound like you maybe have a personal story about how your mom uh, battled for you back well my mom definitely fought really hard to get us back because realistically it's it's damaging to have your children taken away from you especially from you know someone else's say because you know one person makes a phone call and sure enough you have cfs banging on your door because of they're going off of that assumption that said person made so my mom pretty much she fought tooth and nail to get us back uh she jumped through every single fiery hoop that cfs told her to jump through and you know it, it took a while took a very long time actually but she she did it and she got us back and how many of there were you uh there was me i'm the second eldest i have one older brother and two younger brothers well you know good for your mom because i know that in some cases it can be really hard once kids are in care to actually get them out of care and back into your own care so that must have been a, a long journey for her, but kudos, and I'm glad to hear that you went back. So what was it like then coming from, you had moved to a foster home, and then you had moved to your auntie's place, and then you were placed back with your mom. What was mm-hmm. that kind of reunification like for you at the time? It was definitely something, you know, very special for me because I was I was a little kid at the time, and there was nothing more important to a kid than their mother, especially for me, because we had such a tight bond, and... It was definitely a very special day for me to, you know, actually go back home. But at the time, there was still some things happening in the home. But I was—I didn't care. I was—I was with my mom. That's all that mattered to me. Mm. Yeah, I know. For for many little ones, especially like that—that mm-hmm. is a really important. So you mentioned a lot of um, really, you know, difficult things happening to you while you're in your foster home. Mm-hmm. Things that you know, I hope. It's not happening in any foster homes today. You had mentioned that, you know, you weren't even told what was happening when you were taken into care, that you didn't know who your social worker was, that your social worker didn't know who you were, Mm -hmm. that you were seen as a file and not as a child. Yeah. Uh, You were afraid to really speak about anything that was happening to Mm -hmm. you. Um, 
And, you know, we talk a lot here on uh, on System Kids about uh, involving kids in their plan and hearing their voices. And I and I, you know, I, I think how hard it must be for a child who, who you know, is afraid to even say or ask questions, never mind advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, but with all that said, all of these things that, uh, you know, this really, really tough situations you were going through like what kind of alternatives do you think would have worked for you if you were going to be in a foster home like what do you think would have been a better way to have uh to have been providing care for someone like you in that situation well definitely some more one-on-one time with like who i was going into care of like i knew nothing about this family Again, they just went off of what was on my file and I didn't know them, you know, on a personal level. It was just more or less, I just floated around there and just, I was just taking up space really. So if I had someone to like literally sit me down, mind you, I was a kid at the time. So if I had someone to sit me down and explain to me, look, this is what's happening. This is what's Mm -hmm. happening at home. This is why we're taking you. Your home isn't safe right now. So like at the time I didn't even... I didn't know any of that. So mm-hmm. I kind of just went with it really. And I was a kid, so I didn't know I had any rights at the time. Or I didn't know that I could say anything. So if there was someone there to explain to me at a kid level what was going on, then I, I pretty much would have understood more. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm curious then, um, uh, because you were also like kind of afraid to uh, speak out and really ask questions or, you know, say what was happening. How did you come to this place today where you're able to, like, sit here and share your story with us and listeners on the radio? You've obviously found your voice now, and good for you. I'm curious, like, how that happened. And I actually want to add to that, too. It's not that you're just coming on the radio now to Mm -hmm. share your voice. You're also uh, going to school. You're learning how to become a child and youth program worker. Uh, but also you have aspirations for what you want to turn that into. You mentioned earlier before the show. You also said that you're a proud parent to a young boy. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I just want to ask you, like, it, it's it's a far way to have come. And, and yeah, that's what I want to add. How did you how'd you make that transition? What was that like for you? Um, well, because I didn't speak for myself when I was younger, I definitely am doing a lot more than I am right now. So... I'm I'm pretty much doing justice to my younger self because I am speaking out about what's happened to me during that time. And I'm pretty much just using all that negativity and I'm turning it into a positive where I can, you know, actually share my voice with people and, you know, help them understand that, you know, I went through some similar things that are other kids are going through right now. Mind you, this was back in the 90s, so there's definitely been a lot more positive changes regarding the CFS system. So Yeah, you mentioned like you're, you were separated from your siblings. They try mm-hmm. not to do that. They look for kinship care first, but still yes. we know that these problems are still going on in the system. Yeah. So just because they happen to you doesn't mean they, they aren't happening anymore. Mm-hmm. There have been improvements, but yeah. it's good that you highlight that, that it's been a little while. But yeah, there's still these problems going on in the system. Yeah. So um, it, it, I'm... I'm sh- Blown away by your story here, Laura. Thank you so much for coming on and telling it to us. I think we've got a couple more minutes. Is there anything that you want to add or is there any advice that you have for young people who are in care now? Well, my only thing, my only advice that I do have for kids going around now is like, you know, silence can be the deadliest thing, you know. So take take your voice and, you know, use it because nothing hurts more than a missed opportunity. There's nothing worse than sitting back and thinking all about all the would have, could have, should have. Just 
get out there and you know do it and to build on that do you have any advice for people who are working with kids especially kids who are uh, maybe afraid to speak or to share their uh, truths do you have any advice for adults who are working with those kids well patience is the most important thing just take the time to you know sit back and wait and just give them time they'll they'll come to you eventually just give them give them a moment you know mm-hmm. well absolutely um there's a lot more i want to say about yeah. that but uh you know I, I really think that it is very inspiring to hear your journey um i remember at the conference you had said that uh um you didn't actually speak at all when you're a child. And so it's amazing to me that you've gone from, you know, being totally afraid to speak to now um, making a difference in people's lives and through your job. And of course, with your son, uh, that's a very inspiring story. And that's what we, you know, that's what we hope to see more of in the world is you know, people like you who are still, you know, they're throwing obstacles, but they're overcoming them. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Thank you, Laura. Yes. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. But for now, I guess it's time for the rights highlight. Nalaya. Nalaya, you always do such a fantastic job of bringing in the right. Every week we like to highlight a right from the UNCRC. Uh, These are the inalienable rights that every child across the globe has. Which one have you brought in for us today? I have brought in Article 19. Mm, This is a good one, but I can't remember which one it is. (laughs) There's so many. Which, what is Article 19? Article 19 says, you have the right to be protected from abuse or neglect, mentally and physically. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, what, what is that, when you think about that, when you hear that, uh, what does it mean to you? How do you think that relates to kids, maybe in care, or kids here in Canada? Well, no one should be telling you, that, like, um, that you just say are worthless or anything bad, which would be in a mentally think um yes okay and and no one should be hurting you no one should be laying their hands on you in the wrong way absolutely so Nalai, you've talked about the abuse part of it do you know what the neglect part of it could look like for a um, child when uh they don't really get talking to like they don't talk well no one really talks to them and they might be ignored hmm, i think that could be definitely one part of abuse for sure if you're ignored then your needs yes. aren't getting met, right? Yeah. What about, um, do you think that uh, if a child is not maybe uh, getting fed or wearing a winter jacket or mm-hmm. pretty basic things like that, do you think that that is a form of abuse or neglect? Yes, because that would be very sad and torturous. If you had, <laughs> you'd, you'd be starving and you'd be cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah f- f- definitely. That those are all connected to the neglect piece. Also, things like if you don't have a bed to sleep in, oh, that too. yeah, and things. A lot of those kinds of things. And actually, it's really interesting where the system chooses to draw the line for neglect. Mm-hmm. Where uh, the tools that social workers have that allow them that assist them with their decision making process about whether to apprehend a child or not, whether they. Whether they say that, you know, this is neglect or not. One of those things is if there's too many people in a, in a living uh, space with not enough room, actually. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, even though a child could be actually not neglected, um, there are certain bars that have to pass that would get them through neglect. Now, I'm not saying that 
you know, in every case, this isn't neglect or that this is neglect, but uh, that in sometimes, you know, children can be actually taken care of, but still be seen as being neglected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, it's important to respect this, but it's just sort of interesting where the government chooses to draw the line on some of these things. Like, um, uh, yeah, especially as it comes to sort of like um, where cultures meet, right? Like, you know, so many over, you know, in historically speaking, you know, uh, sort of the European kind of uh, background kind of looks at, you know, every child has to have its own room, their own bed. And it's, it's not always been like that here in Canada. So um, it's uh, sort of interesting to see kind of uh, how this neglect um, pieces like yeah. where the line is drawn. Yeah, well, you need like a lot more than just a bit as well. Sure, yeah, that's true. So there's yeah. a lot more evidence to look at, right? It has to be based in the context mm-hmm. of uh, of uh, how these kids are being taken care of. But yeah, you brought up really important points: food, clothing, shelter, um, having all those things provided to you. And also, I'm glad that you brought up the the ignoring piece because neglect could also look like um, emotional neglect. Right. Yeah. Um, people, a child could be, you know, left, you know, uh, left on their own a lot, or not, you know, not being really taught, or, um, you know, taught how to socialize and things like that. Yeah. One of the things that we bring up a lot too is the uh, power of positive physical touch, and uh, although there's, you know, I don't think this would be considered neglect, but like, you know, kids in care in particular don't get a lot of positive physical feedback. Um, yeah. You know, even something as simple as a high five or a hug can go a long way, and they don't get that a lot. Um, doesn't necessarily mean they're being neglected, but it is one way that children should also be, you know, respected in that yes. way. Mm-hmm. Everyone is the same, no matter if they are in a foster or adoption or adopted home. For sure, everybody needs love and everybody needs care. Yeah, and that's Article Nineteen. <laughs> now, Maya, I'm glad that you brought this in um, also, and I'm glad that you brought up the even just kind of the uh, point of needing a lot of or needing enough space for each child in a home, uh, just because of the fact that when we say the words neglect and the words abuse, it comes with a lot of heaviness behind it. And a lot of people might just because they're such strong words already think, no, 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 I'm not doing that to my child. You know, I'm not an abuser, I'm not a neglector. But when it comes down to making sure that kids are, you know, maybe, yes, have their basic needs met, but that they're also thriving, um, I think that, you know, we can also look at, it's not just about those specific strong words about, you know, maybe physically and violently uh, hurting a child. We know that's wrong, but we can hurt them in other ways that aren't as obvious. So thank you to both of you for bringing that in. This is System Kids. It's on CKW 95.9. In case you missed what I said earlier, we talk about issues that matter to young people in and from care. We always like to start the show off with a, with a segment that highlights the rights of kids. Not just the kids in care, but all kids. But especially, it's important to protect the rights for kids in care because they sometimes don't have the advocates or they don't have the people in their lives required to advocate on their behalf. So, today, we are talking with our junior co-host. Introduce yourself, junior co-host. Hi, I'm Nalaya, and I am the junior co-host. <laughs> and it's always a thrill to hear from you, because you always bring in the best of the best of the rights on the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. Which one have you brought in for us today, Nalaya? I have brought in Article 3. Okay, so Article 3. And you know what? I, like, I always pretend that I don't know what these ones are. You know, I was Actually, I can never remember what they are, but this one I do know. But I want you to tell me what it is. What is Article 3 in the lie? 
You finally know it? I do remember this one. I only can remember three or three articles at any given time, so I picked <laughs> the first three, really. But what is this one? Um, article three says, adults should make good decisions for you, especially for your protection and safety. It's very true. Why? So, okay. All right. So who does this one... Who does this one talk to specifically, Nalaya? Teenagers. Teenagers? Okay, well, okay, well, that's not exactly what I was going for. It says clearly in it. It says it says the first thing in it. It says, said, who does it say should should be making the decisions? The parents. Right. Yeah, and the adults in a, in a person's life. Right. Oh, I thought you meant like who would it affect the most. Well, yeah, sort of. It does. It does affect kids for sure, and and especially you're right. Teenagers who have strong opinions about what they want. To have, you know, they start to get older, they start to get more independent, and they start to realize that, hey, maybe this is working or this isn't working, and I want these things to change, or here's what I want to have happen. Now, who whose responsibility is it to listen to those things? Definitely the parents. Definitely the parents, right. And so this is one of those articles that talks to, like, the adults in the lives of children, because it's not one that children can actually do on their own behalf. They can't be like, you know, I have the right to play. I have the right to, you know, uh, clean drinking water, and I have the right to an education and right to, you know, celebrate my own culture. But instead, it's it's the adults in, in the lives of these children that have to have to pay attention to this one, right? Yes. Do you think it's an important right? Oh, of course. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, I thought you were going to keep talking. No, do you um, think it's important? Definitely. And I think that for safety, it's not just about, like, you know, being safe out on streets. Mm. I think it's um, also talking about, like, the internet and um, because, you know, there's a lot of creepy people on there. And you could also really affect things that happen. Sure. Yeah, the internet or strangers just being out in public, you know, that's true. That. Adults sometimes have to watch other adults or try to think about what's best for the child, right? That's very true. But it's not just the adults in someone's life, but it also actually pertains to all levels of society. So um, people who make laws, people who uh, implement laws, like the police and the justice system, they also have the responsibility of making the best decisions when it comes to the needs of the child. I think, too, that this one, um, particularly about thinking what is in the best interests of children, um, when it's in terms of safety and protection, it's pretty easy to see how we can protect most kids and keep them safe. Or at least here in Winnipeg, it's pretty black and white what we need to do to keep kids safe, like, you know, it's keeping them safe from traffic and whatnot. But one thing is, is that part of this, right, is also about thinking about what's in a child's best interest. And I think that that one is a little bit trickier because, um, as you know, uh, not every kid is the same. So, Nalaya, I don't think that if an adult uh, made the same decision for you that they would for another child, that it might be in your best interest or in their best interest. So this is one that I think most adults need to keep revisiting and always questioning, am I doing what's in the best interest of this child at this time? Nalaya, can you think of maybe what's best for you right now is probably different than how it was five years ago? Oh, definitely. It's so much different. Right. And what about in five years from now? Probably way different than from now. 
exactly. So that's something that even with, you know, even seasonally, we need to always look at what's in the best interest of this child in this situation at this time. And that's a big one for foster parents, big one for social workers to not just think, okay, I've protected this child uh, and they're in a safe place, but now what's in their best interest as well. That's a good point. You know, I didn't even think of that. And I like that you brought up that, you know, children's needs are different, even that might be at the same age or the same place in their life, you know, based on each one's attitude or each one's uh, needs, what have you, or their capabilities, they might have different interests uh, than uh, than another one, for sure. And I think it's funny that, yeah, as an educator, um, my colleagues often forget this. Um, and so I, uh, I speak a lot to my colleagues about uh, child welfare, and they often say to me that they're looking for or some sort of overall uh, recipe for success for kids. And, it, it, you know, I, I often remind them, like, there is no recipe because what's what's going to work for one kid is not going to work for the next. Right. Depending on, you know, what their experiences are, if they've gone through any trauma, um, if they're in care, out of care, if they've been in care. Um, there's so many different factors, physiological factors, too. And also, this is a different right from the one where parents have to or adults have to heed the advice and the feedback of kids, right? This isn't the same thing. This is about parents making decisions that affect children or parents, adults, and, and all society making decisions that affect children. Uh, they have to keep the best interests of the child at heart at all times. Now, so like I said, it's different from the one where they say they actually have to listen to what they say. So it's right. kind of cool that it singles out the two different things. Nalaya, can I ask you, do you think that you always know what your best interests are? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Definitely. don't we all? Yeah, <laughs> they're right. Do you think that you should be given the power to decide what happens in your life solely? Well, I think that I should be um, maybe not the final decision because maybe some of that, I don't know, wouldn't be that good for my life. I mean, I think I think it is, but maybe for someone else. Uh, <laughs> and I think that they should at least have some word in what they want in their life. So input. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I want to say this is great. Yeah, I don't think you prompted her at all on this one. I think this is all like for the moment. Very, yeah. <laughs> very uh, showing um, definitely wisdom beyond your years, Nalaya, in that. I remember when I was your age, I think I wanted all of the water fountains to be Coca-Cola in the school and stuff like that. I was like, this is my best interest. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes uh, people come in and they get to intervene against kind of bad decisions that people make. So this is uh, this is a great article. I'm glad you brought it in, Laya. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And just letting you know, I think that they wouldn't allow Coca-Cola in the school because it's mostly not healthy. <laughs> well, see, yeah. that's kind of what I was saying. But you know what? At the time, I was like, no, let me do this. But anyway. All right. Thanks for bringing that in, Eli. It's a pleasure Thank always you. to hear from you. Talking about issues that matter to young people in and from care. My name is Dustin. My name is Amy. And we're sitting down with Jonathan. Hey, how's it going? It's going fantastic. Thanks for joining us on the show, I just want to say. No, no. Thank you for having me, Dustin. <laughs> Get it right. Well, what... What do the people need to know about the illustrious Jonathan? Oh, uh, well. Um, <laughs> How would you describe yourself? Energetic. Come yeah. on. I love, um, I'm very outgoing. Um, once you get to know me, once you get to gain my trust, I, I don't know. It's a uh, game over. No, in a good way. In a good way, though. In a good way. But no. How do I gain this trust? <laughs> come by the office. Just come by the yeah. office, sure. Meet me? Um, I don't know. I, uh. I, I'm very passionate about what I do, so I care about kids and in from care, or uh, not just in and from care, but I care about people. Um, yeah, 
I, I, uh, I understand that everybody has a story in and care, and especially working it related to my job. But also, um, yeah, I'm very easily approachable, you know. I'm very, uh, you can start a conversation with me, no problem. And uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm a good listener too, I've been told by lots of people. So yeah, come on by. I'm I'm at the office Monday through Friday, 10 to 6, first fall, and I'd love to have uh, you out to uh, and meet me at Voices. Which brings me to my next question, uh, or a next question, is that you obviously have had lots of time to develop your personality and in being a good youth care worker. Um, and so in, in, in that, I'm wondering, what, what has your journey been like? Like, what kind of situations have you been in uh, to develop those characteristics and also in turn yeah like my experience in cares essentially well if you would like to share that you're totally welcome to absolutely uh, okay yeah go ahead okay so you know I was, I was 13 years old my dad was alcoholic and didn't really have a lot of food in the fridge i had one pair two pairs of clothes if that um so let's just you know slowly but surely one thing led to another um violence uh lots of alcohol lots of drinking lots of friends were over and essentially my dad put an axe to my throat um so i luckily my dog was there that night and she uh, uh you know essentially barked and bit my dad so that he would you know uh let go of me and um i moved and i was i struggled i guess a bit but very quickly uh out the door to call 911 and next thing you know uh, there's like four or five cruisers at my front door uh guns drawn waiting for my dad kind of you know so it was very uh traumatic for me uh to live and experience this um wow. yeah well, I was right, but, uh, you know, um, I was immediately placed in a immediate apprehension of Winnipeg Child and Family Services General Authority, and, you know, I'm not afraid to tell anybody no more. Um, I'm very open about it, and, um, you know, I think it was the best for me, looking back at it now. I... Uh, I, I, I moved from a place of safety to a hotel to from a hotel to a shelter and then a shelter into a, a really fantastic foster home to even to this day that there's strong there's some of my best natural advocates that I've ever had in my life. I can go to my foster parents for anything. Even now, I'm 24 now, and I'm aged out of care from being aged out of majority, even on extension of care to 21, and now that I get to um, be little life changers to other youth and infirm care, it makes a world of difference for me. Um, I'm noticing now that, um, yeah, I graduated high school from Gordon Bell, you know, uh, with honors. Awesome. And wow. and uh, was with, with going through so much adversity and much uh, determination, uh, I like where at, as soon as I got into that foster home, I had two things, and I'm noticing being a good listener with everybody that I talk to. You know that support and stability stands on itself. You know, and I, 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 you know, even when I'm doing rights workshops or even when I'm talking to a youth and from care about their advocates and, you know, their natural advocates or who their professional advocates are and what qualities that you make you want to go to these people for help. Two things that come up every time I've noticed is support 
and stability. You know, that's it's important for anybody, really. It makes a world of a difference to be to have that stability in your life and to to have foster parents that love and support you for sure. I'm really glad that your I mean your your story was very tragic and it kind of had a nice ending to it where you got a, a wonderful foster home that you still talk to the foster parents that is really uh, heartwarming to me. I'm really glad to hear that because you're right like every kid often has that one person right we we interview people on the show all the time and that's like they always come back to that relationship piece that that one person always has their back. So I'm super glad to hear that you have that. And it does sound like your experience lends it lends you to being a good youth care worker. We can kind of understand and the different placements that you've had. Too, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. From being a temporary ward, being a voluntary placement. And then finally, a, my social worker uh, who I love and, and she's retired now. But her name was Debbie DeGale. I'm going to give her a shout out now. And she made a huge difference and impact in my life. And now that I get to be that person and, and, and impact others for sure, you know, oh, just well-rounded, loving, caring. And even now my foster parents, you know, our alarm code, you know how to get in the front door. Okay. When are you coming? Just email us first or send us a text <laughs> message. Don't be up there at two in the morning, but come by. I was just in the door. <laughs> I was just there Sunday night having dinner too. It was wow. really, you know, even Thursday night before the retreat, which by the way, I would like to talk about really extensively, but um, I, it's the support that they're still there in my life. That's fantastic. Yeah. And you know what? You already mentioned it off the top uh, when we started, started talking with you, but you know, you mentioned that every person has a sort of a different story that's right about like every person coming through care and that's one of the challenges of the show is to try to uh to try to describe what the average experience is because they're so vastly varied but it sounds like your experiences um have touched on a lot of different places uh not just placements but experiences right uh, from trauma to being supported and having a nice uh really sound base uh and i think that that lends itself well to your role as youth outreach worker at voices yeah i agree you know like i've i can sit down and uh, listen to any of the stories of the youth that come in through my door or sorry office and I can say, and you know, I can listen to you, and I can say I've been there. I know what it's like. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Now, yeah. you you did want to talk about the youth out, uh, not uh, the retreat. Retreat. Thank the you. Youth retreat. The voices youth retreat. The fall one. Yes. Uh, they do them every year, twice a year, right? Twice a year. Once in the fall, and once in the spring. Was this your first retreat? First ever. First ever. First ever. So. Did you yourself, just your own personal take on it, did you have a good time? What did you think of it? I had a blast. Um, it was so much fun being able to network youth in and from Manitoba all across from Norway House to um, all over the city of Winnipeg. You know, it was it was very well-rounded. So many people came out. Uh, it was 24 people. 24 wow. youth came out. That's great. And 12 adult supports, even including myself, Marie, uh, you know, the, uh, Jessica from... Oh, yeah. You know Jessica? Jess, former uh, co-host here on the co-host. show. Co-host. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it was, you know, it was great to... And we should say Marie, program coordinator at Voices, of course. We wanted to let people know if they don't already. Um, you know what? I know with the retreats, they're lots of fun. You mentioned that you had a blast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's lots of fun activities and always good food, I hear. Oh, yes. Food Camp Arnaz is, is just the, the food there. Yeah. Like, we had Chinese food on Saturday night that was just to die for. Nice. Um, 
but they're not just always fun. They're also can be emotional. Yes. And uh, how did how did that piece go? Did you find that people were able to open up and be themselves there? How did how did your experience looking back on it now? How did you, how did you feel the weekend went for everybody involved? I think you know, um, I'm not going to mention her name or anything, but uh, she had mentioned to us in the sharing circle that she has a very strong issue with trust. And now that that this weekend came by. She's starting to open up from that shell of being, you know, not so be able to trust people, but now she can. And mm. I guess being um, in and from care, you know, really made her feel more comfortable to do that. So, like, you know, the, the simplest things being out of that retreat was, was to be able to, you know, the theme of the weekend was Rise Up Leaders. And now that trust is a huge thing with anybody. But... Um, yeah, she was able to trust people uh, a lot more, and she actually shared that with us in the sharing circle, and we gave her smiles and thumbs up and high fives, and uh, some of the girls even gave her hugs, too. It was really nice to see. Um, yeah, it was emotional. You know, I remember uh, talking to Jessica in particular, too, when she had the rights, uh, or sorry, the advocates, the Web of Advocates uh, uh, web, uh, workshop, and, you know, talking about natural advocates. You know, those are the people you love and see every day, like your cousins or your aunts or your uncles or even your foster parents, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then when those guys aren't available, you can go to your professionals. And so we talked about your doctors and nurses, and then you can go to your social worker or the OCA, the Office of the Children's Advocate. But what makes you want to go to these people for help is the qualities you see in these people. You trust them. They give you support. They help you. You know? So, like, in that regards, Dustin, it makes them, like, it started, like, some of them were emotional about it. Like, yeah, we need to hear about this, but it, it, it triggers, it's triggers, I guess, for that, for their emotions. Like some of the youth actually felt like they had to get up and go for a walk and then come back in. So, um, yeah, that web of advocates can be very, very emotional for some youth that I've uh, presented to this summer uh, through the CSI programs. Out in, uh, but uh, in regards to the retreat in particular, uh, Jessica had expressed that, yes, yeah, some of the youth had to really, they felt a lot of tension that they shouldn't have felt. But again, it's, it's something that's important to know um, that a lot of people don't know about, you know? Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> right? You're making my job easy, Jonathan. I love it. I just want to say, um, what uh, what have has been your most... So you, you started Voices in the Spring, right? I, I, I was there in May, yes. In May? Yes. Um, what are your favorite takeaways from working at the network? Um, what have you learned or what has, what has challenged you or, or what, is, what stands out in your mind as being the most rewarding? Uh, piece of being a part of the Voices Network. I think it's 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 just helping youth and inform care. You know, I noticed that again going back to recognizing everybody has a story, and I um I've I've I'm like I'm a very good people person too, and I'm sure you've got that from me just from meeting me today. Totally get it, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. But um I think yeah I think helping kids um and actually being able to listen to their problems, you know I I. I that was a challenge for me is like, how do you really care for these per people? Um, because we're there from nine to five, you know, afterwards, right? That was some of the things that were expressed to me, um, at uh, 
during the summer, but, uh, yeah, challenges. Um, I don't know. <laughs> there's lots of them. There's, there's a whole list, but, uh, but the one thing I'm noticing is I'm trying to get everybody out to voices events and making sure that, you know, the simple outreach stuff that I should be doing, you know, visiting with EPR shelters and visiting with, uh, different schools. I'm just trying to get them more involved with voices. So that's a struggle I'm having, but again, hopefully that I'll be able to, you know, like our mandates does engage, equip, empower youth in and from care. Yeah. I will say that as you know, I, I also do work with youth in care and, uh, and youth who are not in care. And I, I will tell you that getting, uh, often teenagers, especially teenagers involved and engaged in what you're doing, even if it's a fun activity can be challenging. Often it it's getting them to that point of, you know, getting there. But then often when they're there, they like have the best time and they're like, I'm so happy that I actually did this. What is that motivation piece or like actually getting them? No, you come on out, come, come with us. You'll love it. And then once you get them out, you, you know, you're, you're simple. You, you've won them over. Yeah. yeah. Only got a few minutes here left, Jonathan. I want to say it's been a fantastic time sitting with you. We, we still have time for a few more questions, though. And, and where I want to go with this is, um, you know what? We don't have a lot of kids, probably a lot of kids listening to the radio station. Um, that's just a fact. And we've come to accept it. But there's a lot of people who are familiar with kids in care who might work with kids in care. Yeah. And I want to know, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, give me the pitch. Why should people come and hang out and get connected to Voices? Why? Um, it's a fun place, honestly. Um, it's you. Uh, again, uh, it's 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 a place where kids feel ma- mattered. Um, I'm gonna go. I guess like, I'm gonna go back to uh, one of my meetings that I was at at the Gang Game and Strategy. It's a Gang Alliance and integrace i forget network it's an uh, acronym thank you <laughs> yeah um sure. <laughs> uh, but essentially it's just it's a we're, we're building that barrier we're taking those barriers down uh in making sure that youth come out and uh so that they don't get involved with gangs mm-hmm. you know gangs are a huge thing you know if those barriers are up where you know they don't have access to health care or employment or uh, uh whatever in may case we be they're gonna go right to the gang so we don't want that uh voices is 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 something you know uh where they have a voice they can be heard you know advocacy rights um a sensible longing like anybody else wants you know it's huge huge um yeah i can say that for me that my personal story we have voices helped me feel welcome and like um we get it we're we're kids in care or from care and 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 we can relate to you and it's a sensible longing and who doesn't want that right mm-hmm. it's a sensible longing that's huge for Absolutely. everybody so um, we make them feel like family. And again, I've noticed with my family in particular, I can say voices as my family. Whew. Yeah, that's a great pitch because it's not I, – I, I like where you went with it because it's not just a fun network. You started – you know, voices is fun. But it's it's so much more than that. It's a family. It's a connection. It's a, it's a greater – it's something to be a part of that's something greater, right? It can replace so many of those – um, feelings and, of, of loneliness and isolation, right? And the emptiness that you, mm. you, you have from being in care, you know? Yeah, whatever your story may be, we can say that, yeah. We, we are so close to out of time, but we got one last thing. I got one thing to add to that, that Voices has been to me and people that I know who are part of Voices, is that also in a world where you have been raised in group homes or, you know, disconnected from the community at large, 
Voices is a really great place that will often provide something like uh, a job reference or, you know, people who will actually guide you through the resume process or uh, school applications. Right. It's like having people in your court who are going to be there for you on all fronts, not just the family front, not just the fun front, but the professional front, too. It's great. Absolutely. You're right. It's a little family. I love it. Jonathan, youth outreach worker at Voices. Thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. It's an absolute pleasure. Can't wait till I get back. I have a right to safety. I have a right to education. I have a right to my culture. Kids like me need to know about child rights and earlier age what to do about it. Today, the Canadian Council of Child and Youth Advocates asks you to make every day a day to stand up for children's rights in your life. The CCCYA is a group of advocates, ombudsmen, and representatives working to uphold the rights of all children and youth. This is especially crucial for Indigenous youth who continue to be overrepresented in the child welfare system. How can you stand up for child rights? Be aware and share information about child rights with your neighbours, teachers, and friends. Be ready to act when a child or youth needs your help. You can find resources about child rights and the Council at CCCYA. If you are a young person who needs the help of an advocate, you can also find the advocate for your own province listed on cccya.ca. This has been a message from the Canadian Council of Child and Youth Advocates.